Hi everyone, and welcome to the ADSR Inspirations Podcast. My name is James Mallion, I'm your host, as I introduce you to inspirational and artful souls from all over the world. I'm deeply interested in music, film, the arts, achieving goals, overcoming struggles, and big ideas. So join me as we uncover some life lessons and knowledge. We're based out of Tokyo, Japan, and we'll be speaking with people from all over the world, ranging from artists, musicians, creatives, leaders, big thinkers, and those who strive to do and be great. Thanks for listening along. Now let's get inspired. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to ADSR Inspirations. And today should be a fun one, being a craft beer fan for a while myself. Uh, I've known of Derek and West Coast Brewing since they started in 2019. Derek has certainly taken a unique path that led him to running, in my opinion, one of the best craft breweries in Japan. Uh, Our guest today, Derek Buston, is originally from Seattle, Washington, where he attended UW, the University of Washington, studying first music and then Japanese linguistics. It was also during this time in his sophomore year when he did a year abroad at Keio University in Tokyo in 2000. After graduating college and then working for a Japanese company in Seattle, he soon found himself drawn back to Japan and moved back here, this time to the Shizuoka area. It was also around this time that Derek began to focus on design and architecture, which eventually led him to becoming a licensed architect and in 2013 established his own company, West Coast Design. After finding success with West Coast Design, including a commission in 2014 to make the Shizuoka Whiskey Distillery, Derek soon got the idea to get into the beverage industry himself first in 2017 with his Bar 12, and then in 2019 with his own brewery, West Coast Brewing. So I'm excited to hear his story. Please welcome to the show, Derek Buston. Well, thank you. That was quite an intro. I appreciate that. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming on and coming on the sure. show. Thanks for having me. So I know you've got quite an extensive background in architecture, both you know, working for other people and then starting your own company, West Coast Design. But uh, as of late, you know, you've made a big splash in the craft beer scene here in Japan, opening up 12 and then West Coast Brewing and then the subsequent, you know, other bottle shops and bars. So I'm kind of curious, um, you know, these days, where do you kind of, what do you find you're most passionate about or spend most of your time with? Are you still really into the design and architecture or are you being more drawn into the brewing and the craft beer side of things? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough question because I mean, I'm definitely passionate about both and I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not pulling any punches when I'm doing either one, but, um, I definitely find I spend more time on beer recently. Um, probably cause it's just a bit more fun. Um, and yeah. also it's just, I mean, Far more, I mean, like architecture is great because you have a client and they are, they're awesome. I mean, you, you know, you're doing something with them. It's this experience that's super engaging, but in the end, it's just with one person or one family or with one company or whatever. So, but, but beer is just so much more engaging. You know, there's so many more people involved. Um, I mean, you can never make enough beer. There's so many hands, uh, so many mouths. I mean, it's just, and it's, the fans are awesome too. So I, I find 
they're both i'm still i'm still passionate about both but kind of leaning beer lately more than architecture probably Mm -hmm. right right so you know i mentioned a little bit of your history in the intro but for people who maybe aren't as familiar with your companies or yourself uh, i want to get into that a little bit in terms of you know japan design craft brewing so really when did the interest in japan start i read that you know you were taking japanese classes in high school and then you were able to do a homestay i believe around hiroshima um what what kind of like spawned the interest in japan in particular yeah i don't i don't know i i get this question a lot and it wasn't i'm not one of the the manga anime guys um Mm. i remember back in the day like playing nintendo and right there's something about Nintendo that is just innately Japanese, right? All the yeah. all the early titles were made, you know, in Japan. And, you know, the Final Fantasy RPG type stuff, the Dragon Quest, I don't know if you played that or not, but like sure. those are I think there's something about those games that was kind of installed inside me that just gave me a kind of an affinity for Japan and Japanese culture that I didn't really know I had mm-hmm. until, you know, later on when get to high school and our high school just happened to have a Japanese class is very, very rare. I mean, like we just happened yeah. to have a Japanese teacher and I figured out everybody says that's hard. Let's give it a go. And, um, it's actually not that hard to be honest. It's, uh, it's a bit different, but kind of the same thing with design. I've always been very visual. Um, I learn uh, by, I mean, by seeing something, but also through drawing it. And so, um, there's something about Chinese characters, about the language being completely different from, you know, not using uh, the alphabet, right? Mm-hmm. That I think I was drawn to. I've always been really into languages too. Um, I did a bit of French in college also, but just it's always kind of come naturally. And there was just, I don't know, I felt like maybe there's just that connection with the gaming. I'm not sure. That might have been the, uh, the, the door, so to speak, though, initially. Right, right, right. So I guess around this time, did you have any, you know, like thoughts, oh, it would be cool, you know, one day to live in Japan or maybe I could work in Japan someday? No way. I mean, like <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Gung Ho with Michael oh, Keaton. I know. Yeah, I know of it. Yeah. So that was my, that was my, I mean, what, an, and I don't, I don't want to say it's an awful movie or it's a great movie or whatever. I mean, it's, it's still, it's one of my favorites, not because I think it's a good movie, just because it's, it's like, it was my entire image of Japan when it came out. And it's, sure. it's just insane. I mean, the movie is crazy. <laughs> and I mean, there aren't even any Japanese people in the movie. There's like one guy and the others are, you know, Korean or whatever, which is just crazy too, but, or Japanese, Korean, or, or, or sorry, Korean American, excuse me. But, uh, but yeah, just the, the different, I don't know. It's almost like a caricature of Japanese culture that was really blown out of proportion that, you know, I, I remember really clearly for some reason. And I, Thinking back on that, I wouldn't, this place is insane. I, I mean, I'd like to go someday. I didn't think I would end up living here for, you know, basically half of my life so far. So, yeah. Right, right. It was not in my plans, that's for sure. Right, yeah. I think from from what I recall around that time, you know, like sort of late 80s, there was, you know, I'm from Canada, but like American, you know, Hollywood their depiction of like Asia and Japan was pretty wild. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's, it's actually really funny. I think 
I mean, just looking back on it, I mean, some people might say, yeah, it was an unfair, you know, portrayal or whatever. But I mean, I think caricature is probably a pretty good term. But but yeah, I, re I remember that really clearly. Like, I still hop on a Shinkansen and just like think back to when you know Michael Keaton's like on a Shinkansen. I was like, okay, that's it. It's you know, it's 30 years ago. But right. But yeah, that's, that's, those are my, some of my really early impressions of Japan, and I did not think I would be here. No way. So definitely not. So then you were taking the classes in high school and then you got an opportunity to come here when you graduated high school and you did like a right. homestay, right? Yeah. So I did a homestay for a week in Hiroshima at a sister's, well, at a, <clears throat> uh, how, how can I say this? So it's like, uh, we had sister cities, right? So I'm right, sure you yeah. had the same. And, yeah. uh, we had two, one was in, uh, Higashi Hiroshima and one was in Hachinohe, which is in Aomori. Okay. And so we did a week each and that was kind of a, that was a gift from my grandparents, you know, go and we did, there was 10 of us that went and, um, that was fun. I was 18 and we were getting wasted sure. and that's, you know, this, that's Japan. I mean, like, it's just great. You go home and you tell them, you know, I really love this food and I get the same food every night. Um, you know, and there would always be like, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't a drinker at all. Like I was super, I don't know. I don't want to say I was like, um, straight, but like, I wasn't, I don't know. I was really into studying in, in high school and mm. so I didn't party or nothing like that. But, um, but yeah, it was just really fun and different and engaging again. That's a word I like to use today. Um, and I realized that the three years of Japanese that I studied in high school meant nothing. It was like <laughs> meaningless. I mean, it was, I mean, you go, Japan. So, I mean, as you probably know, like Japan is just crazy. The di not, not, not necessarily dialect, but the, um, well, I guess dialect is probably the right word because the words are completely different. So, um, especially in Hachinohe where they shorten everything. I mean, it's, it's just incredible. So I re I realized, yeah, the Japanese that I know is completely different from what's actually spoken, which, which was fascinating for me at the time. Right. Right. For sure. So, okay. You got that brief experience and then right off to off to UW after that yeah I got yeah. a little taste yep a little right tea. right right a little mm -hmm. taste but uh at this time so you were you were big into music at that time right you you decided right. to go to a thing. music major okay were you yeah. like yeah. uh were you playing in bands or you were uh no I was I was vocal and I was doing mm -hmm. arranging um I really wanted to be a music teacher that was like my my passion at the time mm-hmm um, still love music, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Mm. That's without going into further detail. Um, right, right. I, ended, I ended up doing some music at another college, Bellevue community college while I was at UW, mm. which was way more fun. Okay. And I think it was more of an environment, a teacher thing, attitudes. It was just, it just felt, it didn't feel right at UW. So yeah. Um, I, while I was doing music, I also did French and Japanese cause you know, wanted to keep those going Yeah. and they were just more enjoyable. And I thought maybe, I mean, there's a lot more to it than this, but I thought maybe there's more of a future if I studied that or over music. So kind of had to change and yeah, yeah, off we go. Right. Right. So the shift was into, um, the major was Japanese linguistics then, right? Yeah. Yeah, basically. Okay. And then, okay. So you got through that 
decided to shift more into language and Japanese and then finish at UW, you end up working at an uh, import-export company in Seattle, right? Yeah, so that's a um, like a raw food raw material, mm-hmm. um, basically procurement rather more than actual sales. But so what we would do was I'd be in charge of a few different products like fish meal or broccoli or I mean, come on, that's it's all kinds of stuff. But yeah. so we would go out and talk with the farmers and talk with the producers, um, secure, procure, and then sell to our parent company in Japan, which had a bunch of branches at the time probably still does and also i did some stuff with china taiwan learned a lot about exporting men i mean like mm. um stuff that i wouldn't have learned i mean i could have took a class on it probably at some point but i never did right and it was super hands-on you learn about how nothing ever goes according to schedule um and how customs is a nightmare and yeah. so i mean and that stuff was awesome because i guess we'll talk about it after but when it get when it comes to designing like the furniture selection in Japan is awful, um, uh, among other things, and it's a lot of fun to import. And so I was able to kind of use that import-export, not necessarily expertise, but that experience in later uh, adventures and design and building and in and, and beer now too. But Right, right. So, so, so it was a very, very, very important year and a half for me. I also met my ex-wife at the time uh, working for that company and we got married and that's the reason why we left the company and moved back to her hometown, Shizuoka. So that company, okay. kind of, that was kind of the catalyst for everything at the beginning. Right, right, right. So were you, were you traveling around while you were working for this company? Were you going to like China or Japan or you were just, I didn't, made- I didn't get to go. I definitely went to Japan. Um, but not for just very briefly. Um, yeah. uh, and then I was traveling in the States with visitors from Japan or from China, from Taiwan, showing them right. around. Uh, super busy. But the great thing was at the time was I was using my Japanese, which right. was kind of most, that was mostly the reason why I, I joined that company is because I didn't want to lose what I had. Like you said, in the, like you said, in the intro, I spent a year, my junior year at UW, I spent at Kale and took my Japanese from, I mean, not to a hundred, but from one to, you know, 80, you know, just a huge yeah. leap. Um, and I didn't want to lose that. So, uh, that was the main impetus for joining the company, but yeah, I got to do that, got to travel around, show people around, always speak in Japanese. Um, so it was challenging. I'm not a sale. I'm not a salesman. I'm not, mm. I can't sell. Like I gotta be passionate about it. I'm not passionate about broccoli. I'm not, I just yeah. can't do it, man. Like, I mean, I mean, there are people who are and more power to them. And it's, it's awesome because the world needs people that are passionate about broccoli. But right. I mean, I'm, I'm just not, that's just not me. So it, in the end, we decided to uh, not to get hitched, but also to move out, uh, to quit and move away. So Sure, sure, sure. So then the next phase was the move to Shizuoka. And then I guess um, a bit of a shift into design with you, right? So... Yeah, I've always been, like I said before, a visual person. Mm-hmm. I like to draw. Um, I'm, I've always been not great, but, you know, I think decent at drawing objects rather than people. Like I can't, mm-hmm. I've just never been able to draw animate things for some reason. I don't know why. It's just not right. been my thing. But when it comes to um, buildings, for example, straight lines, um, 
just shading and whatnot. That's kind of been something I've always been good at and I liked. Mm -hmm. And I've always liked, I always liked architecture, but I had had enough of math, man. I didn't want to do any more math. And I thought, and I had this thing in my mind that architecture was just math or it was a lot of math. And it is in some disciplines. If you're a structural engineer, that's like all you do. I would never do that. Like I just Mm. had had enough of math. Um, but, uh, but after starting doing it, I realized that this, I mean, depending on your, your job or your role, there's just a lot of drawing and a lot of creative stuff. And, um, as long as you understand the concepts behind the structural engineering aspect or, you know, the basic, uh, rules, um, there's, it's, it's just, it's a lot of fun actually. And to get back to the, the move. So I came to Shizuoka and I interviewed at a bunch of different companies and wasn't too hot on any of them. Um, And my ex-wife's father, my father-in-law at the time, he ran an architecture firm. Mm -hmm. And so one of the options was I could just join on as an apprentice or a dishi or whatever and learn the ropes. And I thought, oh, that sounds cool. I mean, it's architecture, man. Gotta be fun. And it wasn't. Um, <laughs> architecture in Japan is so I don't want to say just bad because that's not a good that doesn't say much but it's just not what it is in the western world at all I mean okay. it's very very bland and I mean we're putting stuff together as cheap as possible as fast as possible mm. um, you know I, mean, I could go on about this for days but it's just right. not anywhere nearly as, as glamorous as it, maybe an architect might be um, in the States or even in some of the Southeast Asian countries like Singapore or Hong mm-hmm. Kong or whatever. So, yeah. <clears throat> so that was the reason I got started with that. Um, but I always kind of had an interest in it um, and always been very visual. So it kind of came naturally. Mm-hmm. Right. But I guess you didn't really have much um, formal training. You were kind of learning as you're going along Nothing. at this. Yeah. Not a single thing. No. I didn't know. I mean, literally from zero and all in Japanese. So, right. Very unique. I don't, I mean, I've never met anybody with similar experience, which is kind of, I guess it's kind of cool, but it's also kind of sucks because it's, you can't really share with, with, or I guess you can share, but you can't have people say, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah super unique. Right. So, you were working kind of like an apprentice role and then you were also kind of taking classes on the side or night classes or something. So yeah, in Japan to get your architecture license, your uh, there's class two, class one, I have a class two, um, to get your license, you need, you know, a mixture of education and hands-on, you know, experience. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't had the education. So it takes seven years of, of experience uh, at a firm um, to be able to take the test. And I could shorten that by one year to six years if I took two years of night courses uh, at a local high school, which was like a technical school. And so they were teaching basic stuff. But I mean, after I think that was like my fourth or fifth year in that I did that. I mean, we could I could teach the classes. So I don't it was it was not like anything eye opening or um, even inspiring. It was just kind of going through the motions. Yeah. But it was, I mean, it was still something. Um, I hadn't been to a Japanese high school before. So yeah. um, I guess I've, I've technically graduated from a Japanese high school as well yeah. in that, if you think of it that way. 
Right. So basically, like when you started on, then you had this goal. Maybe I don't want to do it the Japanese way. So I want to get my license and kind of do my own thing. Was that kind of what you're thinking from early on? Or I think I didn't know what、hmm. I was thinking early on. It was just kind of like nose to the grindstone.、Um, Got to get licensed or you're not a real architect, quote unquote. You know,、right. um, so there was this goal of getting a license, and class one is is better than class two, obviously. But after you get class two, and the world doesn't change at all, you kind of realize that, you know, you can just hire somebody with class one, and you can still do class one stuff. So,、um, yeah, I, after I got class two, I kind of threw away my ambition to do class one, and. Started getting into bigger projects、uh, at that original company, and、mm. these are long stories that require separate podcasts. But、um, we we did the Shizuoka Waterworks, which is a huge building, and there were only four of us in the company. Like we shouldn't have done this this project,、mm. but in Japan, civic projects are all done through、um, proposals. But it's basically just how much can you do it for. Okay. Like it's、sure. all it's all it's all about money, right? So it's not about how awesome your your ideas are or your project or your proposal is. It's just it's a figure on paper, like literally.、Mm-hmm. So do you meet the requirements for building X? Oh, you do. You your firm has this experience. Oh, we yes we do. Okay, then how much can you do it for? That's it. And right, right. For whatever reason, we met all the requirements and we were the lowest price. And so we got this job, and it、uh, it caused a lot of problems.、Um, it was kind of cool because it was a big project, my first one,、um, and I was a chief on that, which was an experience. But also, I was away from home a lot. Like I、mm-hmm. had a lot of super late nights.、Um, didn't get to spend a lot of time with my kids.、Uh, right. So I definitely realized. While I was doing that project, that I didn't want to do this anymore.、Mm. If I was going to continue doing it, I wanted to change. And I can go into depth a little more about this, but basically, so architecture, and I think it's probably the same in other countries too. But architects don't really know what things cost,、mm-hmm. so it's constantly changing, right? And you can have an, a ballpark idea, but then you know when you actually take your drawings to the contractor or whatever. Um, they end up telling you, yeah, you're over budget, and you kind of know that. I mean, if you're five percent over, you can usually make it work. But here, it's like, you know, you spend all this time with a client. Let's do this. Let's do that. I think it's going to be about this much, but I don't know. And you take it, and you're fifteen percent over, and then you got to go back to, to square one, basically. So I got tired of that. Yeah, it's super stressful. Um, that was another reason why I, I wanted to move on. So what I decided to do was instead of scrapping the design, which I had spent ten years on,、uh, I decided to build also. So we went from、uh, so I left that company, started my own, and we made the transition to designing and building,、um, which at the time was a good idea, I guess. I mean, it's it's been interesting,、um, and it's a lot riskier. There's a, or that is, I should say, there's a lot more risk involved.、Um, you know, if you, if one of the workers makes a mistake, you basically got to cover it.、Uh, 
Um, I mean, there's accidents. There are, I mean, it's just all kinds of other um, factors that come into play versus just sitting at a desk and drawing stuff. So, sure. um, yeah. No but yeah, it's, but yeah, so I decided that if we're going to do that, then I'll definitely want to continue. And we did it. And uh, it was good. It was, it wasn't, uh, um, wasn't smooth. Have had lots of stuff happen in the last uh, nine years with that, but right. But that's another reason why I got to, to make a brewery too, though. Having a construction right. company means there's a pretty decent cash flow um, and a lot more potential to borrow, which is not something that a lot of foreigners have in Japan. Sure. Yeah, borrowing power, man. That's crazy. I mean, it's, yeah. I'm all every all my friends that are foreigners in Japan. I mean, blows blow their minds. Like I can borrow this much money, so it's right. pretty cool. Right, right. So this was around what, like 2013, when you started West Coast Design. Yeah, 2012. End of 2012, 2013. Yeah. Okay, end of 2012, and then so, so we when, just got into you, our. We, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah, when you when you first started that up, then was it? It was a pretty small team, or is like just you and a couple people? How, it was how did two you of us. It? Yeah. Oh, okay. It was two of us, and it's how, only five of us now. So, right. How did you kind of um, think? Like, how are we going to do this? Who do I need? Like, you had a couple core people, or just the one, the one guy. Um, what was your? It was just kind of, basically me at the beginning. Okay. I mean, I, yeah. I have a partner, uh, Alki. He's an awesome guy to this day. When we're like best friends. He's more of a sales guy. Uh, he knows a lot about insurance, knows a lot about um, property, buying buying and selling property. Um, he's just, he is the yin to my yang kind of in terms mm -hmm. of like supporting each other. We, I mean, I'm more, I'm the engineer and he's kind of the, the, uh, the front man or something, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to. Right, right. To say, but it's, but we, we worked together really well and we've always had a kind of rapport and this uh, way of sort of interacting with each other that just makes everything click. And at the time I was, I was building everything. So, okay. and we're not talking about a lot of projects either. This were very few, like maybe three a year maximum. Mm -hmm. And um, we added a few people along the way and had to fire a few people along the way. Um, but yeah. uh, we've, we've stayed pretty small. And like I said, we have five now and that's, and I don't want to do any more than that. Yeah. Right. Um, right. And we contract everything out to, we don't contract to a one contractor. We are the contractor, but we, we hire the carpenter, we hire the electrician, we hire the plumber. Right. And we do, we have a foreman that takes care of everything. I was the foreman back in the day. Mm. Uh, which was a great experience because I learned a lot about how to build stuff. When you're sitting at a, a desk and you're drawing, you don't know how they put stuff together. Yeah, There's no way you know unless you've actually done it. And being there and having seen them done it for a few years, like you can draw way better. Uh, you can, you know, convey things in far more greater detail. And you also know, like when you do something new, which is what we do, like I don't, I'm not building the same thing over and over. We're always trying something new. Mm -hmm. um, you know that, oh, this is going to be difficult because of 
this or it's going to be expensive because this is going to be necessary like you don't know that when you haven't actually had that hands-on experience so right um definitely a bonus with that too <clears throat> right right Sorry, i'm kind of rambling but no 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 it's good yeah in terms of uh you mentioned you know early on you just kind of had like a few projects a year was it right was it was it a challenge early on or like um or like people trusting you or like being a foreigner how how was it like in terms of getting projects and contracts and things like that yeah i i think um this is kind of weird i think we make awesome stuff and i'm surprised we don't have more customers or clients and i think part of that is probably because i'm a foreigner uh you've got to you've got to entrust me with you know 500 grand or a million dollars or whatever and i mean i'm not going to take it and run away although i could i mean <laughs> am i gonna um so i there's definitely some kind of anxiety there i don't know exactly what it is i'm not going to say xenophobia or whatever because i don't i think that's kind of unfair um but uh we had a few trusting clients which is all you need and uh yeah it just turned out the, the pace was fine I, we didn't want to get our get our um get ourselves into more than we could we could handle at the beginning too so but i think even to this day though there's definitely something about being a foreigner that is not is kind of um what's the word i'm looking for is not exactly cool um conducive to mm. getting lots of work right in this particular right. business yeah right right but i guess kind of as you went along you know you build up your projects and you've got this experience you have you know your portfolio you can show people you know i've done this and this in the right. past that's definitely yeah i mean that's now they don't really i don't think it's much as much of a question now as it is the last couple of years been with covid um right. i mean that has been i mean crazy on the design side like projects just disappeared so mm. um it's been rough sure yeah i can imagine um so i think um from what i read at least you know you were always kind of into craft beer around this time too right like coming from seattle you know great craft beer scene um were you like when you first came to japan were you kind of searching out craft beer or what was the what was the interest in craft beer kind of as you went along? So, yeah, I went, went to UW in 1998 yeah. to 2002. And I mean, beer was hot then. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, you go out to a bar, you drink a beer. And so it's like Mac and Jack's or, you know, whatever back in the day. And uh, when I came to Japan, we got married and moved over. I mean, I had just started a job. They were paying pennies. I had no money. I'm like, yeah. So beer was not on my mind at all at the time. Right. And then after, I would say, after I started my own firm in, in 2012, 2013, started to get a bit better financially um, and going back to the States and seeing how it was picking up, I think that's when I kind of got keyed back into it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, having some of the, fre the early fresh hop Fremont stuff or, you know, Georgetown and just kind of dipping back into it. I right. um, definitely fell in love with it again back back at that time. And then in Japan, they were just starting, like Nagano was just starting to bring some beers in. 
mm-hmm. uh, AQ like a year later, I think, uh, with yeah. the Devilcraft stuff. I mean, you might know a lot about that. That's a, another story from another time, but um, just starting to get beers in. And they were, I mean, it was kind of exciting because they weren't here before and now they're here. Oh, here they are. But yeah. they were old. Um, <laughs> you know, they were not fresh. So you go yeah. home, take a couple of hits, and they said, oh, it's just so good. And um, also got to meet a lot of people in the scene um in la particularly for whatever reason just by chance um so i had a lot of friends who were super into craft beer collecting trading just you know way more into it than i could ever be in japan and um but yeah i definitely that connection um piqued my interest a lot and yeah and then it led up to the distillery right so you mentioned Mm. um when we finished that in 2017 i think Mm-hmm. 2000, yeah, 2000, almost 2017. And uh, it, I'll just start talking about that. But um, yeah, went to Scotland, went to a bunch of distilleries. Um, I knew that the front end of whiskey was essentially the same or very similar to beer uh, at the time, but I didn't know how. And so after getting a lot of hands-on experience, um, visiting distilleries and talking with people, um, God, oh, man, we could do beer. Like if we can yeah. do whiskey, we can do beer, right? Well, I mean, I was just <laughs> super like, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, naive, I guess. Mm. But uh, but yeah, that's that was when the um, the thought of maybe having a brewery really started to come into focus. Right, right, right. Just doing it yourself as well, right? Yeah, I think going back and drinking it fresh, and then coming back here and drinking the imports, you just you you can tell the difference. Like there's three months mm. or four and a half months on yeah. a beer, and it's not the same. So, sure. um, but to make it here, all the cha- the hurdles, the challenges, like you got to have the right materials. Uh, you got to have people who know how to brew. Obviously, there's you got to have yeah. enough space. You got to. I mean, so um, I knew there were a lot of challenges, hurdles to overcome uh, at the time, but definitely knew that if we could make fresh, awesome beer in Japan, that it would sell, which is mm. obviously number, uh, issue number one. So, um, yeah. Right, right, right. So then in terms of like, you know, the imports were coming in, you had mentioned, um, how about like the domestic craft beer? What were your kind of opinions on, uh, some Japanese crafts at the time? Yeah, I don't, I, uh, I make a point now to never put down the domestic craft beer scene, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> in general, um, because it doesn't, it's not. There's nothing positive. Nothing positive comes from saying sure. something negative about the domestic scene. But if I can tiptoe around that a bit, I would say that um, it's super behind. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Japan is known for engineering and being, you know, super accurate right like you know pinpoint and for beer with beer for some reason it's just not i mean not up to snuff at all right I mean, right, it, right it's and there's i think there's a variety of reasons for that some of it was they kind of got into it late um the first beer craft beer boom which was what late 90s i think um didn't go well because it was expensive and it wasn't good uh, that'll hurt. And then the second time it comes around, there's a lot of money being thrown around. Um, 
and not a lot of places to drink it. And I think also just the lack of like people, like, you know, Japan's so insular, like they, I mean, there might be 20% of the population that has lived in a foreign country for a, a short period of time, working holiday or whatever. And then that speaks a little bit of English and the rest of the country is just like, they're fine forever in Japan. They don't need to leave or, you know, go anywhere and right. come back. And so they're really stuck. They really need, it feels like they needed or need some more Western influence, not because Western is better, but just because the techniques and the, the materials and it's just, there's so much more competition and, and collaboration. Um, it feels like there just wasn't an influx of that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, very few foreign brewers, if any at all, like Nest is probably the one, right? I, I mean, I don't, I don't know them personally. I don't know their names or anything, but they definitely had foreign brewers and or a, a foreign brewer that was great. And that's one of the reasons why they made decent domestic craft. Mm -hmm. uh, like Baird, for example, too. Like Baird's been steady uh, right. forever. And, you know, I mean, making solid beers, no, for sure. Um but that's really the extent of it. There isn't, a, there wasn't, aren't another uh, set of smaller breweries run by foreigners, not until recently, anyway. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of it. I'm not, don't want to say like Japanese people can't brew. That's not, that's, that's not what I'm saying. But definitely, there's a lack of information and a lack of technique. So without right, saying right. anything super negative, yeah. Right. Right. So. I guess also you felt like you could add something um, yeah, that, that, you know, yourself as a consumer would be wanting or would be, you know. Well, so you know. to get back into that real quick, it's like, so we'll get it. You were one of the questions I think you're going to ask me about 12 and which is our bar we did in 2017. Right. And there aren't enough hops in beer in domestic brews. Not, I mean, you can have a lightly hopped beer, fine, but I like the super heavy IPAs. Come on, from right. Seattle, so kind of grew up with that stuff. I missed it. I wanted it, and they were importing, you know, some uh, some Georgetown, some Fremont, and really hoppy stuff right around that time. And I wanted to show everybody that people are going to like this stuff if we make it here. And mm -hmm. so, um. <clears throat> I also wanted to get my foot in the door. So the, the, um, the, the distillery in Shizuoka, the great thing about that company and working with them, one of the great things was they kind of tuned me into their philosophy, which was before they made a distillery, they had a bottle, they did a, they have an, a whiskey import business. Mm -hmm. So, and their idea was to get some interesting whiskeys in from India or from Belgium or whatever that aren't, or in, from Sweden, I think Fox, I think it's in Sweden and make connections in the industry sure and in by doing so at some point when they make their own whiskey they'll be able to kind of reciprocate or to kind of go the other way and you know talk to the distributors that they've been dealing with in other countries do you want our whiskey you know right and so kind of getting to know that business a little bit by doing it yourself before you get into actual manufacturing and i thought well shoot we're going to make kegs at some point in my dreams at the yeah. time. Right. And so I, we need to know what it's like to run a bar. 
what are the challenges, what are the, you know, the fine details um, <clears throat> to do it right. So that was one, another reason why we did 12. Mm. I wanted to, to have a bar to know how to do it uh, before we went and made beer and sold it. So it was that. And I wanted to prove that this beer would be popular if we did it, even in a place like Shizuoka where, you know, I mean, there's only 600,000 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and that was a massive hit. And like I thought it like I mean, it had to be beer <laughs> so good. Um, yeah. And the bank really t- uh, noticed that as well. Well, dang. Sure. So, I mean, on a smaller, on a small scale like that, if we can do, if we can do that, then the brewery's got to be great. Right. So yeah, got, definitely got them on board. Uh, that helped a lot with that too. Sure. Sure. So I guess, you know, it's one thing having the idea to do it. Uh, it's another kind of, you know, getting the team together and getting, you know, people who can actually brew the kind of tastes that you want. And then, you know, also getting into some of the art and the branding and the whole, the whole package. Um, what was the process in getting, you know, a product that you'd actually be satisfied with? Mm. Um, yeah, that's, that's a lot to unpack. Um, we have, uh, well, at the time we had Toshi from outsider come down mm-hmm. to brew with us and definitely one of the better brewers in Japan. So um, you kind of had some connections at the time to, yeah, some, I mean, we, we've been talking yeah. about making a brewery since before yeah. 12, um, right. without knowing when it would happen and just kind of chatting and we didn't know who would brew, which by the way is a mistake right now um if you're going to start a brewery right now definitely know who's going to brew before you do it um i see some breweries now that are just like we're going to open a brewery looking for brewers and it's like oh you know (laughs) uh anyway so we were very fortunate that he he wanted to leave what he was doing at the time and kind of offered his uh services and i thought shoot that that'd be great but i also knew that um we were going to need to kind of bend his rules a bit or get him to shift what he was doing to a more American way. Mm. If that's the beard that we wanted to make. And so we, we did a trip uh, to the States with him, got him to drink some stuff. And then it took a while after that to get the brewery up and running. And um, we were fortunate to have Grant from Highland Park uh, decide that he would come over and, and hang with us and brew, which is, which has been a blessing because I mean, he brings the hands on, brewing experience right. that Toshi didn't have in the States, obviously, but they were a pretty good team, uh, at the get from the get go, um, both very different. Um, as you can imagine, like a 20, 28 year old, uh, guy from Pasadena and a 63 <laughs> year old, you know, super veteran. Yeah. I've won all these awards, you know, like, I mean, both, both great guys, but yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so <clears throat> very fortunate to have that. Um, and it was just kind of luck, I would say. Like you ask, how did it happen? Mm. I I don't know, almost like fate. You know? Right. You get, I find, and I'm sure it is with everybody that's listening to this too, but you kind of lean your your thoughts in a certain direction and things go that way. Like mm. I, I want to open a, I want to open a shop and I want to open a bar in Osaka if I think that for a few months, it's just going to happen. Like maybe not right away, but like there's just right. something about f- 
focusing your energy in a certain direction yeah. that yeah makes things more likely to happen i guess so <clears throat> but luck more than anything i would say okay right so that was you got you got the brewing in order at that time between those two guys and then um your product though like isn't just like your average you know bottle you know 330 or 350 milliliter bottle on the shelf um you got the whole you know you got the hop dude the characters the backstory and i think that's one thing that really separates you guys as well um was that mainly your decision in terms of the branding and the design and all that or how did that kind of come around yeah definitely i mean like i'm not a one man uh wrecking crew or whatever but i like the design end is definitely my my contribution mm-hmm. I, mean, I think i know enough about beer now that we can i can chat with the brewers about small details i mean i've definitely been a student of it for a, for a long time but uh it's my thing is the design end for sure. And, um, I always wanted to do uh tall boys got to do five hundreds mm-hmm. because I want at some point, and we do Taiwan and Thailand at the moment, but I definitely want to have our beer in other markets in Southeast Asia, in Asia, not a lot. I don't want to do a lot, but just having tall cans means like it kind of fits the other American styles. And also with the character, it's an um, interesting story because we, through whiskey, through the whiskey distillery, we <clears throat> we became acquainted with a company called Three Brand in Scotland, mm-hmm. and they do a lot of beverage marketing in general. And um, kind of like what they do, it's not our style, so to speak, but they're super experts uh, in what they do, but they don't know anything about the Japanese market. So we decided to kind of, you know, use some of their marketing experience with with Europe and the West and combine it with what we thought would work here, which is kind of a Kish character, you know, it's not Pokemon or whatever, but you know, it's something something you can identify with. Yeah. And uh, so I thought that was a good idea. And we they have a an artist, an illustrator in Manchester named Simon that they hire. Uh, mm-hmm. to do our stuff and we love his touch like i can't do an animate objects so i mean this guy's a saint right um but uh but yeah just at, at first it was it was kind of weird because is this going to work you know but uh yeah we've kind of fallen in love with it over the past two and a half years we we wouldn't have it any other way now yeah um <clears throat> but yeah so it's um just kind of a wanting the customer to have something to identify with being super easy to identify on the shelf even in a foreign a foreign setting, mm. um, those are kind of the the basic ideas behind the branding. <clears throat> right, 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 right. So the back and forth with Simon um, Simon Henshaw, I believe his name is. Yes, and correct. then um, well done. three three, <laughs> three brand. How how does that kind of work? Like he'll send you something each time or like you just kind of leave something to him and is how, how's the kind of uh, communication well, we, and process? Yeah. It, I don't actually communicate directly to Simon. It's all through three band, three brand. Okay. Right. So what I'll do is I'll send, for example, we'll, we'll do a beer. 
what's, let me think of I can think of an example for you. I don't know, I a lot, send them a lot of photos, a lot of reference, mm-hmm. because I want it to look local. Like we can't have Mount Fuji as it looks from the Yamanashi side because it's better from the Shizuoka side, right? Anyway, but okay. uh, it's got to have that little bump on the right, you know, like just it's. And he has been great at taking those references and really bringing them to life. So what I'll do is I'll write down my ideas for this particular beer, this label, and maybe throw some photos, references, send it over. Three brands will probably usually make a really rough mock of that and then confirm it with me. And then we give it to Simon. We get a sketch. Does this work? Looks awesome. Color it up. Boom. You know, it, it's it's like a three week process for every um, for every new label that we do. Oh, okay, right. So y- you have to you have to be thinking of the new brews, the new designs, maybe you know, like months in advance. Yeah, then. it's right. And that's that's my that's the thing I'm most hands on with mm-hmm. when it comes to the brewery right now. I mean, we do the scheduling: what beers we want to sell, what can sell, what do you guys want to make. What, we, what adjects we're going to use like that fun stuff we also talk about but mm-hmm. um the the label graphic stuff is is pretty hands-on for me yeah i'm, all, I'm always involved in that i'll probably always be involved in that because it's kind of my baby you know kind of the thing i right. i gotta be involved with right 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 okay right so you got the bruise right you got the branding right and then you know you got your bar going and then the breweries up and going and then i guess that was 2019 sort of what the end of 2019 when did uh when was the official launch july july so tanabata tanabata so like july 7th okay 2019 is like the official mm-hmm. open and then uh what not less than a year later pandemic time right right yeah that's what i was gonna say right so you get things going and you're you're rolling them out you know you got everything proper and then the world pandemic decides to give you a bit of another challenge there so um how how has that been you know kind of dealing dealing with that um i guess you know the shift away from bars and you know the in person experience but i'm sure there's also been some positives in terms of you know um canning and getting your product out to stores and customers that way um yeah we um we had planned on doing cans anyway Mm -hmm. but we didn't know how soon was you know um appropriate i guess i mean we were having a lot of success with kegs going out the first six months and we just happened to have a connection with a company in Tokyo that had just happened to purchase a small canning machine. And their idea was to have that can. So in the States, they have mobile canning. So there's mm-hmm. companies that just literally go around and can stuff for you. And they, didn't, they don't have that here. And part of that is a, a what's that, um, health and safety. Okay. Hokanjo uh, taking it uh, thing. And uh, <clears throat> so anyway, they had plan to do something similar to that with a few craft breweries in the Kanto area, right? The Tokyo, near Tokyo, us included. And we were like the first ones, we were going to trial it for them. And so they bring the machine down and uh, pain in the ass to hook it up. And cause you know, I mean, we hadn't really planned too much for that ahead of time. 
They bring it down. There's all kinds of things going wrong with it. We find out that after we set it up, that none of the other breweries they had planned to bring it to could actually, it wouldn't fit or they didn't have the appropriate power. So right. we just ended up like, we didn't, we ended up leasing it permanently from them. And that was in November that first year. And so we did some trial cans in December and 500s too. Yeah. So this is before can the can shortage and um, <clears throat> just started to do that. And then in March, when stuff started to get bad, um, we had canning, like we had been doing it for two months in very small amounts. So we were already in it and getting into it. Whereas I think a lot of folks, a lot of breweries, I mean, some of the older breweries definitely doing bottles to begin with, right? Yeah. But everybody was doing kegs. And so shit, all of a sudden we got to get a canning machine. We have to get cans. Can we even buy cans? Oh, when you buy cans, you have to buy 12 pallets at a time. Where are we going to put those? You know, like there's just all these hurdles to getting into canning or even bottling <laughs> that I think we were kind of early into that because we had just been very lucky with the timing on our machine. Mm-hmm. So that, that helped a lot. Uh, we've been really fortunate with COVID. I mean, it's been very rough. We got to change, change, swap over to cans, swap back to kegs. I mean, that's, there's a lot of uh, adjustments that you have to make on the fly. Um, we've had periods of time where we've had a lot of beer that didn't sell as we made too much or because we, the demand wasn't there. <clears throat> but overall, we've, I think we've probably doubled our production over the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know exactly why. I think some of it's, you know, there's some FOMO, um, you know, marketing in there. Um, I think because it's good, because it's yeah. awesome is, is another reason. Uh, we've also been lucky, fortunate to have, like I said before, Thailand and Taiwan, a couple of partners who, mm-hmm. you know, take a few pallets at a time from time to time, which has been great. Um, and ne- have never met these people before, which is crazy. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've Zoomed, that's it. Talk to yeah, people yeah. on Zoom and, you know, they tell us how much the customers love our beer and whatnot, but can't wait to get down there and, and meet these people. But yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's been, I would say it's been very challenging, probably more so for other breweries than for us. Yeah. Um, but super rewarding also because we've learned a lot about how to, I mean, I guess a lot of troubleshooting damage control. Um and definitely up the quality too in the process too. So um, really happy with that. For sure. In terms, so I guess your other business as well, you had briefly mentioned, you know, also was a challenge. Yeah. So how how has that been? And like, how, how has it kind of been, um, I guess, in the past few years trying to sort of like balance both of them in terms of where you're going to put your attention or if one project comes up here, who's going to do this? How, how, what's that process kind of been like? Yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, cause that was one of the questions you sent me to, um, early on and, um, it's with COVID. So once COVID started, like literally all of our sizable projects just stopped. Mm. I mean, not, not midway, but like anything we were about to start building or, anything we had just contracted, like this is, oh, we can't do this anymore. We have, we got to see how this, you know, 
plays out first or a company that had you know expected to up their increase their manufacturing volume was going to make another warehouse and we were going to do that it's going to be an awesome warehouse and well shoot we're probably not going to be able to sell our product for a while so we need to postpone this or whatever so anyway just like hit a like literally hit a wall like and so things got super scarce on that side and they're kind of picking up now a little bit i don't know i'm not i'm not expecting too much uh i don't want to be disappointed but um so the last year and a half or two years has been really focused on beer like i haven't mm-hmm. been so drawn to the design side i haven't really felt torn or split mm-hmm. like my time is definitely more on the beer side but i do the 3d for the designs and i do a lot of the early clients hearing and work so when we do a design project i'm super hands-on like mm-hmm. they ask us to build something because they want me to design it so yeah i mean i've got to be there at the beginning in particular and and i do all the 3d drawing and stuff for that which i hand to my staff and they flesh out the 2d and do the working drawings right right so super hands-on when we have projects so that can be difficult to balance mm-hmm. but We've also been fortunate to have um, some growth on the beer side. Um, a lot of awesome, our staff are awesome. Uh, we've had, we've definitely been able to delegate more, which has been something I've always been bad at, um, but definitely improved recently. Right. So on the beer side, when I get overwhelmed, we, we all, we know it's time to delegate. Um, it's kind of hard yeah. to do that in advance, but we've been able, been good about that. So I don't feel like, I'm super leaning one way or the other most of the time, but definitely having fewer architecture projects has meant being able to focus more on beer in general. Right. right. And it's, it's a bit more fun, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sounds like it. Um, so would you ever like, you know, if things kept progressing, would you like shift over full time or do you like kind of having, both of them, do they kind of give you, you know, does the design thing give you something that you could never have if you did, you know, full time with the West Coast Brewing? Yeah, I think um, that's a good question. Uh, we'll never stop doing the design. Mm-hmm. But I think I would like to get to the point where we're just doing our stuff. Right. Where I'm the client kind of, or we're the client. Uh, it's just it's a lot more flexibility. Um, I mean, our clients are great. I mean, I, I mean, all of them, even the ones that cause massive headaches are, they're great. Um, but it, there's a lot of time you spend and man, architecture, I've got, we have, we have full sets of working drawings for buildings we didn't build that we didn't get paid for. That's Japan. Like you don't, it's insane. Like it's, there's so much lost time on that side in that business so mm. um we'll never do away with it uh permanently but i definitely like the idea of going a little bit lighter on that side and focusing mm-hmm. more on our stuff and you know more time to explore stuff on the brewing side um whether that means more shops or you know um, another bar somewhere or collabs or yeah. you know we did a thing with united arrows um this past year Mm-hmm. A, a, a clothing collab like that that stuff's cool and fun and you know awesome for the branding and i mean definitely like to focus on that stuff more 
Right, right. I know, I'm sure like you've been asked, you know, by people, um, you know, for advice and whatnot, like how to get started. I'm, I'm curious, like on both fronts, it, it seems like it's a lot more, well, your route into architecture and design required a lot more effort or studying. Um, if you could kind of give like a piece of advice for someone getting into both worlds, either the, you know, design, someone who wants to, you know, work in design in Japan or someone who wants to brew or get into craft beer in Japan, what, uh, what kind of advice could you give there? Um, okay. Good question for design. I mean, this is not the answer you want, but I would say, don't do it. Right. Um, but if you gotta, I mean, you expect a long grind and don't actually don't have expectations because it's really, really rough at the beginning. Mm. Um, you're just literally tracing, uh, older drawings and I mean, for, for ages and it doesn't matter. Like your education doesn't matter here either. Like you, Mm. can you do it or can you not do it? Um, and getting a license also, I mean, like if you have a license in the States and you bring it over, you can, they give, they'll gift you one. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, getting it here from, from nothing, uh, it's, it's a long process and you just got to be super patient. Um, right. Yeah. And, and, and hopefully find a company that's, you know, gives you the tools you need, man. You can't, you make so little cash as an architecture firm. You can't upgrade your software a lot of the time. Really, like really. You got, I mean, there's a company, a good, a good buddy of mine that runs a firm in the city that they don't build. They only do mm. uh, design. And they were using like Windows 95 until last year. <laughs> wow. Like it's, so maybe in Tokyo, I'm sure it's different. I mean, mm. the clients are bigger, the buildings are bigger. There's yeah. some awesome firms in Tokyo. That's, that's a different, I mean, if you can yeah. get in on one of those, go hard. I mean, I would, yeah. I would, I would have loved to have tried it at some mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. But you know, in Shizuoka, super local. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a grind. So it's not really right. advice; it's more of like a a warning. But, uh, right, um, and but, yeah. it seems like also you said there's opportunity for a little more creative um, to do more creative projects or more artful things, maybe uh, outside of Japan. From your experience, right? Yeah, I I mean, there's something about there's these cool Japanese. Um, structures or buildings you see on the internet like oh my yeah. gosh that's cool yeah. and but that's like that's like one of a million or one of mm. several hundred thousand that's actually unique like on the ground it's like i mean with but with any industry i guess but even more so maybe in japan it's like you just it's a lot of cookie cutter mm. uh stuff so anyway i think it would be awesome to do to work at a, a firm in tokyo that's mm-hmm. doing higher end or super creative uh and that's a client thing it's all about having awesome clients i guess so right, right for the architecture right. side that's that yeah. for brewing um yeah i think one thing i say a lot to folks who are asking for advice who are about to make a brewery um our equipment is premier and there's a lot of people that make equipment uh a lot of companies and yes premier 2 is also basically made in china hdm but there's a warranty on it that HDM doesn't provide. Um, and the brew house, they take to LA or San Diego, sorry, and they build it and they test it and then they take it apart and they send it. So there's a bit of added cost. But the thing about Premier that's awesome 
is they come over and set it up for you. And Alan, who came over and set up ours, he's been doing breweries for his, I mean, his entire life. He's done Russian River. He's done, you know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, countless, I think, Firestone Walker. And just he's been on the ground at all of these breweries that are awesome. Right. And he's made the fine tuning, the changes to the equipment to make it work. And he's he's the one that set up our equipment, right? Right, right. So there's something about the small, you know, uh, dialing it in with with him on the, with him there. Plus, something comes up, we can call him, and we and Perfect. he's been there. He knows our system. Like this is yeah. this is not. I'm not saying this isn't a service that other companies can't provide, but there's something about going through Premier and having Alan come over that's I think definitely enhanced our brewing, definitely made our beer better. Also, uh, if you're going to start a brewery, sanitation is huge. Like everybody says that and they know it, but the way that they sanitize tanks in Japan is old and outdated and it has to change. Mm. One of the things, one of the, another reason I want to start a brewery and be, and hopefully be successful at some point and was to, kind of change the way things are done so that everybody's making better stuff. And I didn't know why at the time, but one of the things is sanitation. Mm-hmm. So um, just it's being handed down from brewer to brewer to do, to clean tanks this way, but it's incorrect. So um, definitely ask me about sanitation before you start your brewery. Uh, Cause we've got it dialed in and it's awesome. Right. Um, <clears throat> uh, that's another thing. For people that want to start brewing, I mean, you can't homebrew here, right? It's against yeah. the law, but you, you you can, but you can't. Yeah, right. So it's hard like to that. get information and, and um, materials and things like that. I mean, there is a small community and they're all awesome people, but it's not anything like the States where there's just stuff, all oh, there's homebrew shops here and there. And, you know, yeah. so it's really hard to get in. Just got to be ready to, to quit your job and go f- total, uh, you know, no pay and sit in on stuff. And we don't offer that because yeah. we, is it takes a lot of our time because we want to, you know, actually teach and do that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, find a place somewhere and just get in mm-hmm. and study too. Cause there's a lot of stuff you can just read, uh, from books. Um, and if you speak English, there's way more information available. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool, cool. Yeah, that's great advice. So yeah, I mean, you you briefly mentioned you're briefly getting into it before. I, I'm curious about, you know, what what you see as the future for both of your companies, um, or maybe like you mentioned um, some collabs in the future, or like, what about like a, a dream project, if you could like, you know, don't have to worry about money. What What are some things that have been kind of like floating, floating around either on the, de- well, either on oh, the design that's, that's side, that's nice. <laughs> either on the I'm design side. I'm down with side. that. Let's, yeah. I, so I'm fortunate. My partner, Alki does most of the, the, um, the books. Mm-hmm. He does a lot of the nitty gritty. So, I mean, I know the, the financials, I understand our position, you know, loans and whatnot. I know yeah. what's going on, but I'm very fortunate that I don't have to like, I'm not into that on a daily basis. That's like a yeah. weekly thing for me or a monthly thing. Mm-hmm. So I can focus on the creative stuff. So that's, that's a cool thing about what we do about our relationship. But um, yeah, on the architecture side, kind of mentioned it before, but 
I mean, not sizing down, but maybe focusing more on our stuff. Mm-hmm. I definitely want to do that. Um, which means not doing a lot in general, right? We're not going to be building tons of stuff every year. Um, mm-hmm. But we are doing a hotel, oh, okay, uh, that's which cool. will open, which will open in July, I think. If we're, I mean, it was supposed to open this year, but like, man, COVID. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, we push that back. That'll open in July. That's the big project for next year for us, even on the brewing side, because we're going to take our current tap room and move it over to the hotel, which is across the street. Oh, perfect. Which which means we can expand our brew brew licensed area and add a couple tanks if we want, or just have more room for packaging, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get much bigger than we already are. Uh, mm-hmm. I like our size. I like being a craft brewery, not super huge. Although yeah. I definitely think there are um, potential um, business opportunities for, for OEM, for uh, contract brewing um, companies that aren't in Japan that want to get in to Tokyo and do some craft brews. Um, I don't know if that's something that we're going to do, Yeah. but, um, but that's something that's out there. I definitely want to export more. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not making enough to export a lot. We can definitely max our capacity, uh, but it, it's, it's such a difficult thing to do, man. Beer is like a living mm-hmm. organism, right? Like maybe it takes a couple more days to clear diacetyl. It's hard to schedule things in. And then we've got this team who has this routine we release on Wednesdays. Well, we ship on Thursdays. And if it's one day off, like it's this, it's this headache. But eventually I want to get to the point where we're releasing maybe a beer a day or like we can on Monday, we ship on on Tuesday. We can on Tuesday, we ship on oh, Monday. Really? But now, now what we're doing is we're, we might can on Friday or Monday and we wait until Wednesday to release it. So the mm-hmm. beer is already four days old. Mm-hmm. And I think in four days, man, so that's fine. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> But I mean, there's nothing like picking up a can and looking at the bottom and seeing, holy shit, this was canned yesterday, or this is canned right. today. What the hell? Right. You know, like that's that's the ideal. And right. so we definitely want to get there, which means we're gonna have to toy with a lot of the things we do, um, which means a lot of headaches probably on, on the uh, the office staff side. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I'm really excited about the hotel. It's a six room small gig got the tap room downstairs and do chicken and waffles or something um right. you know and a cool experience for people that like west coast which sure. you know providing that's going to be cool um and beyond that i really want to i need we need to get over to osaka i want to do a bar in osaka um because our beer just isn't doesn't get over there i'm oh, really not okay. sure why yeah mm. um and i'm not gonna push it but I definitely think we could make a little uh, a satellite over there, <clears throat> and then yeah. Okinawa because I love Okinawa. And right. up until Corona or COVID, it was I mean it's like one of the playgrounds of Asia. Basically, there's tons of tourism. Uh, even the folks that that are, that live there right are are awesome. For um, sure. A lot of uh, expats there. Um, you know, uh, obviously bases. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that want to drink good beer, so I would definitely like a presence down there. Give me a reason to go to, so that'd be <laughs> fun. Right, right. But yeah, short term, I think that's it. Long term, I don't really know. I mean, I think as you, I found that as our 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 overall sales has grown, or our brand presence on the design and the beer side has grown, we've started to make connections with different companies. 
Mm. And I think these company collabs and, you know, uh, this cross creativity that comes from, you know, even talking to them in, uh, there's just a lot of potential there maybe to do something new. I don't know what that is yet, Yeah. but definitely exciting and fun to meet and talk with new people and, uh, learn more. Um, so we'll see where that takes us, but definitely want right. to keep pushing it up. But I think there's definitely a, a spot where we'll plateau. And at which point mm-hmm. I don't really anticipate brewing more beer. I did. I think it'll be more like, let's do a hotel or let's do something connected to beer that enhances the experience. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I think that's where, where we're headed anyway. Yeah. You've mentioned, you know, some of your collabs and stuff in the past. Have you toyed with some ideas of, you know, some of your favorite breweries um, from the West coast in the States trying to hook up with some of them once COVID yeah, we, settles down? They, they, yeah. They need to be able to come over for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, we talk about it and they want to come over and we want, we want to go over and it just hasn't happened. Yeah. Um, and we've, we're still pretty young, man, two and a half years. So, um, we haven't really been able to basically bring our beers over and say, Hey, check these out. You know, it's, it's been, it's been a while. So, um, definitely want to reconnect, make those Mm -hmm. connections again. And I definitely can see us doing those kind of collabs going forward, but just don't know when, but until then we're going to do some domestic stuff. Like we just did a Verter. Sure. collab last week that was i mean crazy um and a lot of fun too because we've known them for a while and we've chatted about doing a collab for a while and it just hasn't been like the logistics hasn't worked just with with covid and whatnot so we mm-hmm. finally got to do it um then in 2022 we have a couple lined up they're going to be awesome um, oh, okay yeah uh, so we'll see um but Definitely looking forward to more info exchange, you know, right, and, right, right, and maybe right. we're, maybe we're talking about sanitation or we're talking about dry hopping rates or we're talking about, you know, small details that maybe, you know, they didn't know, or they had an inkling about, but weren't sure, or, mm-hmm. and I'm sure there's, there's stuff it reciprocates. We'll learn, you know, we don't do a lot of crazy stuff with our mash or whatever, maybe they do, or I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of potential for, uh, well, potential to grow, I guess. So, right, right. Definitely yeah. want to do hit the hit the domestic collabs for sure. Well, it, yeah, it seems like, you know, at least maybe when you initially had the idea to start up, some of the domestic craft breweries weren't maybe what you desired. But it seems like with you know you guys and a few others kind of pushing it forward, seem like the whole industry just seems to be, you know, getting better and better and the quality seems to be getting higher and higher as well. So, yeah, I think there's definitely something happening in a good, in a very good way. Um, I also feel like there's just a lot more IPA being made. Sure. And um, I also think that, you know, uh, I mean, you got to make what's popular. So there's going to be a push to that end. I mean, it doesn't have to be hazy. I mean, right. seriously. I mean, like I'm, I mean, I probably shouldn't say it. I mean, like I'm not tired of hazies. Like a good hazy is a great beer, yeah. but yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll take a check pills anytime. I mean, let's go. Yeah. So, right, um, right. but yeah, it's, it's, I think there's just this IPA push that's going to continue for a while. Uh, it's going to mm-hmm. be on. So, um, and if that leads to, you know, the overall quality uh, being bumped up, that's the best. 
So I mean, definitely a good thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing I've liked about you guys as well. And that like, you're not afraid to try these different styles, regardless, like you do have to, like you said, follow the Japanese market and what's going to sell, but you will also kind of, you know, put out like a Czech Pilsner or some, you know, German style, or you'll get into, you know, sours or different things that other breweries might be a little bit hesitant to try, right? Yeah, I think one of the things I like about our brewery and our brewers, we have a team of five now, is we can we can brew pretty much anything. I don't know if it's the best, but uh, pretty solid, I think. So we've got a kind of a a range to play with, so to speak. I mean, if we want to do sour, we can we can pop one in. Let's do a let's do a big imperial stout. I mean, so uh, that's a fun thing about it. But yeah, you're right. Uh, hazies are what sell, which continues to blow my mind like on a <laughs> weekly basis um so but it is what it is and it's probably going to be like that for a while um mm-hmm. but yeah we'll i will always have a pills in our hand man because it's because we like drinking like all day you know sure not just not just for an hour or two <laughs> yeah right cool cool yeah so i gotta yeah i gotta thank you for this derek um there's a couple questions that i ask every guest right at the end if that's cool with you Okay. So, um, yeah, as this is called the inspirations pod, uh, they're related to that. So the first one is, uh, what are three things or could be three people that have like really inspired you in your work or your life, uh, whether, you know, the design, the craft brewing business, or just, you know, your life in general, what are three things or three people that have given you inspiration? Oh, you should have asked. You should have sent me this question before. I could have. I could have given you a decent answer. Um, yeah, on the music side, I had a music teacher in high school uh, who passed like uh, last year, and uh, was like a second father for me. Um, definitely, just I mean, nothing but inspiration from him. I also had a music, uh, like I guess, a director in college at the other college I was going to. That was just absolutely amazing um taught me a lot not just about life but about music too mm-hmm. um on the brewing side on the design side i don't yeah you mean i should ask me this before i could give you something <laughs> decent um brewing uh, brewing brewing inspiration brewing i don't know like it's it's not just one person it's just i mean mm-hmm. talking i mean everybody especially on the west coast it's there's so much sharing and it's pay it forward and you know, how can we make everybody awesome? And, right, yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, it's it's such an awesome culture in general that, I mean, like I'm, who am I? And, but I'm going to go up and ask, hey, you know, what's what's the fermentation, what's your fermentation temps on, on this beer? And they're like, sure, it's this, you know, and like, oh, yeah. damn, but like they're just so open. And I think I've drawn some inspiration from that because I definitely want to pay it forward uh, in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh design oh yeah, i don't know i'm not sure <laughs> oh yeah sorry it's not a good answer but yeah um i guess you want, you want me to give you one mm. it could it could oh. it doesn't have to be a person it could just be like something that's kind of um okay uh i think seattle then because mm. i don't know how often you've been to seattle i mean vancouver is a great city too uh, where do you say you're from in, in Canada? I'm from Toronto, but I've got experience I'm, on that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I haven't been to Toronto. I've seen some photos. I'm sure it's an awesome city, but like Seattle yeah. is, 
Seattle is like, I mean, nothing like any other city I've been to. Mm-hmm. And not just the people, the people are different too, but like the the amount they put into the city planning and the um, just the effort and the, the money and just how they value their city building and the buildings themselves too. Like there's just so much effort put into designing them that whenever I go back, I'm just like, there are ideas everywhere and Mm -hmm. a lot of inspiration. So I would say maybe that's not a person, it's kind of a thing, but just um, Seattle in general has been this massive inspiration for me for sure. And I've been to a lot of cities in the States. Mm -hmm. I've been to a lot of countries, um, but I can, I would say for certainty that there's just something about Seattle that, really clicks with me and not because I grew up there just from a design from an effort time like you can just kind of feel it seeping out yeah yeah so yeah last last one for you then um okay what what it what does it mean then for you the flip side of it what does it mean for you um to be inspirational to other people like they see what you're doing maybe they see something you've designed like a shop or um piece of architecture or you know your craft brews, what you've done with West Coast Brewing. What what does it mean for you to be an inspiration to other people? Well, I mean, tumbling. Um, it's also it also means I think we're doing something right, which is good. I mean, that's another thing about be, not only beer but design. It's, it's it's a visual thing. You're affecting people in a way that's hard to quant hard to quantify. Mm. Um, but there's something there. It's like, it's almost like reading a book for me. I'm really hesitant now to read books because I just soak it up. It like becomes a part of me. It's almost like I can't disagree with it once it's in me. Mm. And with, with design, you see it and you kind of soak it in and it's there somewhere. Right. And the beer design is the same. It's like, I mean, it's locked, locked away somewhere. It's becomes kind of a part of your, your visual, uh, I don't know, like a library, but vocabulary. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's an awesome thing and you, you can really affect people through design, like in ways that you can't really even explain. I mean, you can change the entire complexity of a neighborhood with one building. Mm -hmm. So, um, it wouldn't surprise me that the buildings might be an inspiration or might be an impulse. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's an awesome thing. For sure. Cool. And hum- yeah. very humbling. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Yeah, that was great, man. Yeah, I got to thank you once again, yeah, for coming on and uh, giving your story, giving some advice and, uh, you know, for your passion and design and, you know, the thought and quality you're putting into the work and your two companies, the craft brewing, you know, your architecture, of course, the tasty brews that you and your team coming out with, you know, on a weekly basis. So, um, if people want to follow you or your companies, what, uh, where's the best place that people can keep up with you or West coast? Yeah, I think we're, uh, Instagram at WCB Shizuoka. Um, that's our main thing on the brewing side, on the design Mm -hmm. side, we don't, we don't put a lot of effort into the marketing, which is probably a bad thing, but it's kind of like where we're at, uh, West coast design. Sure. We also have an Instagram account. We have web pages, also uh, home pages, I guess, also. But right. yeah, the Instagram is where all the info is at. So, okay, all right, cool, man. Yeah, thanks once again for 
coming on for the chat. And uh, yeah, I hope to, I've always hoped to make it down to West Coast. Uh, I've been to Shizuoka, but not in a little while. Um, definitely like to make it down to 12 and the brewery. So yeah, uh, welcome anytime. Definitely do it. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks once again, Derek. All right. Thank you. Cheers. Cool. Yeah, so that was Derek Buston, and this is James Melling with ADSR Inspirations. Until next time, thanks for listening. If you want to hear more insightful and inspirational chats from people based in Japan and all over the world, make sure to follow us at ADSRcollective.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter at ADSRcollective.com. Then listen to the pod on Spotify, Apple, Google, and more. Thanks again for taking the time to listen. Until next time, stay inspired. <laughs>